Welcome. We're so glad you've taken this opportunity to grow your faith by listening to this teaching. At CLC, it is our heart to see every believer equipped to fulfill the plan that God has for your life. For more information about Celebration Life Church, you can visit our website at celebrationlife.ca. Now let's hear some faith-building teaching from Pastor Jason McGay. Well, good morning, everybody. Can you hear me okay from where you are? All right. Well, it has been an interesting week. And I don't know if you noticed, but there's been a lot of requests, prayer requests for healing. And uh, so it's a good thing that we have access to our great God who heals. Now, we're not limited to natural medicines, as great as they may be, and as good as doctors may be, we're not limited to those things. We have the Lord as our healer. So there have been many prayer requests. So if you've been praying and you've been sensing from the Lord that, you know, I just want to pray for people to be healed. Well, continue. Continue to pray for that. You know, the Lord has been doing some great things in our midst in the last little while. We've been hearing some good reports about answered prayers specifically in that area concerning healing. It's been a great thing. And so we should be rejoicing and being thankful for the fact that God hears us when we pray. Hallelujah. Amen. And uh, this week we did some more filming for the pastor's table. And it was, it was good. Hallelujah. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I was pretty stirred up about it. Yeah, so you'll see that. I, I don't know if I was pounding the table, but almost, almost pounding the table. <laughs> it's getting pretty stirred up about it. And it's because there, I was just, oh, there's so many lies that the enemy has sown in, in even in the body of Christ concerning uh, God not healing you or sickness being something that God's brought you to teach you something. And, oh, it just keeps people in bondage, you know, lies like that. And so we're kind of hitting those things head on. You know what I mean? Kicking over some sacred cows there. Barbecue, yeah, barbecue. But it, it, it's good to know the truth because the truth makes you free. And I guess one of the things that really got to me when we were, we were going through this the other day there that I just, I just think our Heavenly Father is so good. And why don't people know that? Why don't we see how good he is and how the enemy has lied to us and caused us to see him in, a, in our Heavenly Father in a way that's not real, that's not true, keeps us from him. And uh, we don't want to be kept from him in any way. Amen? And I find that the truth of God's word liberates his people so that we can have freedom of access to our great Heavenly Father. Hallelujah. So it's been a great week for teaching from the Word and for prayer. You may be sensing in your heart a stirring to pray. You know, I need to pray. I need to pray. I need to take some more time and pray. Yield to that. That is the Lord. I'm believing that there is a spirit of prayer coming upon God's people where we just find ourselves praying. And not because it's our, you know, relationship maintenance prayer. Where, well, i got to do my you know, thing today and pray a little bit. Relationship maintenance with God. I better pray. 
and nothing like that. But praying because we want to see change. Praying because we want the will of God to be done in the earth. Praying because we want to see uh, lives changed, bodies healed, souls saved, you know, people that have been tormented to be free in Jesus' name. We want to see those things. I was thinking about how so often, I mean, in the, in the last, I don't know, probably three or four decades or more, there's been great teaching that's come forth in the body of Christ. Great teaching. And uh, we're thankful for that. I know, I, me personally, I'm very thankful for the teaching that God has brought to me in His body. And it's blessed me tremendously. It's helped me a, a great deal. And I, I mean, I, I know what it was like to live before knowing things from God's Word, and I'm so thankful that He has shown me what He's shown me through His Word. So I'm very thankful for the teaching that He has brought, the tremendous amount of teaching in the body of Christ, more so than in previous generations. But at the same time, I've also noticed that we tend to go that way and, and think that the answer to every problem we have is, I need more teaching. We go hear another sermon. We go and, and try to get some more information from the Bible, thinking that's the answer to every circumstance. And it be, has become an imbalance where we don't take time to just seek the face of God. We don't take time to get alone and pray and hear His voice. Because we just go put in another book about hearing or another tape or CD or whatever, listen to another audio about hearing the voice of God instead of taking the time on our knees before God and actually hearing His voice. And I believe that God is calling us back to a place where we, we seek Him. We pray. We do a little bit more praying than we have been because we want to hear from God. We don't want to be in the dark, roaming around trying to figure things out, looking for another answer. We want to know Him and hear Him. Hallelujah. Amen? Amen. Let me just get my water here. I'm going to put this down for a second. I'm going to navigate this, uh, this setup that we have here. <clears throat> so I want to share a few things that are on my heart today. And uh, I think we will start with Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. Hallelujah. Now, I made a comment about prayer and it not being relationship maintenance. You know what I mean by that? I can't hear the overwhelming response that there must be in your homes or wherever you're at, but yeah, relationship maintenance. Now, in the world, you will find these sorts of scenarios. In the world, you'll find scenarios where, you know, well, honey, it's date night. We need to set some time aside to work on our marriage, our relationship. And there are certain things that people will do that are relationship maintenance. Just kind of take the pulse on things, make sure everything's working okay, kind of check in with one another. Okay, we're good? All right, good. And then carry on with life. Relationship maintenance. Does everyone know what I mean by that? And I think in some ways we do that with our prayer lives. It becomes relationship maintenance with God. 
We're just going to check in, you know, hey, God, everything okay? I'm doing all right? You doing okay? Everything good? All right, I did my 30 minutes on. We go with our day. Carry on with life. Life's busy. We got things to do. I mean, hey, you got to look after your house. There's, you got kids, you got work, you got friends, family, and so much, you know, there are demands, there's financial situations. We've got busy lives. So sometimes our fellowship with the Lord gets relegated to relationship maintenance. We just check in once in a while just to make sure everything is going okay. But, you know, if there's a real problem, then, hey, we're on our knees, we're in front of our Bibles, because now we got a problem we need God to solve. Now things get intense, because there's the fire's been turned up, something's happened in our lives, and now we need to seek the Lord. So, actually, I turned you to Romans 5, but I'm going to turn you to a different place here in Proverbs. It seems to be fitting at this point. Let me just find it for you. You can turn into Proverbs, and let's look at chapter 20 and verse 6. Now, let's look at it from the... I'm going to read it from a different translation than what you might be used to here. It says this, Many a man proclaims his loving devotion, but who can, but who can find a trustworthy man? And I know there's different translations of how that works. Many proclaim goodness and so on and so forth. But I like this one because it brings out this thought that there are many people that say, oh, yeah, I love the Lord. I'm a believer. I'm devoted. And that's like this. Many a man proclaims his loving devotion. They say it with their mouth. But who can actually find a trustworthy person? And it's a good soul-searching question. Because, you know, at the end of the day, at the end of all days, on the last day, and when you stand before the Lord, it doesn't matter how much you've proclaimed your loving devotion. Because He's going to ask you if you've been faithful to do what He said to do. So He's looking for this faithful person. Amen? And in our relationship with God, our fellowship with Him, I think one of the tests of our relationship with Him is, are we actually faithful to do what He's called us to do? Can God look at you and say, there's a faithful man, there's a faithful woman? It's a good measuring stick to kind of judge where you're at, because we all say, oh, we love the Lord. We love the Lord. We go to church. We, you know, once in a while we share the gospel with someone. We sing songs. But are we faithful? When the rubber hits the road, are we doing what God said to do? When the rubber hits the road, are we faithful to Him? Hallelujah. It's a good check. And in our fellowship with the Lord, it should not be mechanical. Now, we heard this morning about the prayer of agreement can be something that becomes mechanical. Oh, yeah, I'm in agreement. Yes, amen. That's the prayer of agreement and become a mechanical thing, when really the prayer of agreement is about where's your heart. And so it is with our fellowship with the Lord. We don't want that to be a mechanical thing either. Because really, I mean, He's not fooled by that. <laughs> you know what I mean? He sees you. 
Others might not see you, but he sees you. And when you hear me say that, you're either rejoicing, that either brings great comfort to you, or you kind of go, uh, oops. One of the two. That either is a statement that he sees me. The Lord, I might not be able to see him, but he sees me. Hallelujah. He sees me. He knows exactly where I'm at. And here's the thing. He knows you better than you know you, and he hasn't left the room. He hasn't left because he is that faithful one. He doesn't just proclaim loving devotion. He's faithful. Faithful and true. And he knows you. He knows you better than you know you. Sometimes we tend to think of ourselves in the best possible light. But he sees you in light. He is the light. Hallelujah. So he sees you. And he loves you. That hasn't deterred him at all. Whatever state that you may find yourself in is no deterrent for the Lord whatsoever. Oh, hallelujah. He hasn't changed his mind one little bit. It doesn't matter if you've been, you know, if, if you have fallen seven times, he's the one to help you get back up again. Because of his great love for you, for you and for I. So let's go back to Romans chapter 5. And let's start in verse 2. I'm going to read a little bit here from the Amplified, but we're going somewhere with it. We're not in any hurry today, right? No one's in a hurry. I mean, it is a little cold out here, but I am not in a hurry. Hallelujah. All right. Romans 5, verse 2. Let's start there. It says this, Through him also we have access by faith into this grace in which we firmly and safely stand. And let us rejoice and exult in our hope of experiencing and enjoying the glory of God. Hallelujah. It's a good verse. Moreover, let us, and Amplified adds in here, let us also be full of joy now. Let us exult and triumph in our troubles and rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that pressure and affliction and hardship produce patient and unswerving endurance. And endurance, or fortitude, develops maturity of character. And character of this sort produces joyful and confident hope. And Amplified adds in hope of eternal salvation, but just hope is what it says in most translations, right? Verse 5, such hope never disappoints or deludes or shames us, for God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Look at these words here. Such hope never disappoints or deludes or shames us. 
To be hopeful in the Lord is not to be shamed. He's not going to let you down. In the world, there's plenty of expectations that are unmet. In the world, there are many things where you hope it goes one way, you wish it would go some way, and you don't know if it's going to or not. You're not really sure. And often you can be disappointed and say, well, I was hoping it would turn out better. That's being disappointed. Or you put expectation in something and it caused you to be ashamed that it, was, it didn't work. But not with God's love in our hearts. Our confident expectation is exactly that, confident. It's confident and it's joyful because we are assured that we will not fail. And so uh, we read through these verses here and we hear it, and sometimes we hear it with the world's mentality. You know, oh, God's just putting me through all this suffering that I'm going through because He's trying to build character in me. But you know what? I know in the end it's all going to work out and we'll be okay. And it almost sounds like Eeyore. You know what I mean by Eeyore? In the end it'll be okay. In the end. Well, I guess I will just suffer for the Lord. God's getting the glory. It says here's something about us having hope that we get to experience His glory. Right? Isn't that verse 2 there? Please don't be an Eeyore Christian. Hallelujah. So sometimes we read these verses and we look at our lives and we think, you know, I've just got to get through. I just have to struggle. I just, God's helping me build character here. Character's being built in me because I'm, I'm suffering in silence or I'm, 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 I'm gritting my teeth and going through it. And that somehow God's purpose is being worked out in my life because I'm pressing through. Or sometimes people find themselves in a different place. They find themselves on the other end of that, where they're under it. They're underneath the weight of it and just waiting for God to deliver them, waiting for Him to come through somehow. Maybe if I call the pastor and pastor prays for me, God will deliver me. And, and waiting for something. Maybe I need to hear a special word. And that word, when that word comes, that'll be deliverance for me. And then my whole world will change. But in the meantime, I'm going to sit here and wait, under the weight of, of, of this, these insurmountable circumstances. And, you know, well, in the end, I guess I won't be disappointed, you know. And unfortunately, I'm, I'm just, I'm talking in such a way because I know there are people that, whether you're consciously thinking or not, there are people that do think like that, you know. But that is not what this verse is talking about. What this verse says is that we will not be disappointed because God's love has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Ghost. And I know that there's an interpretation of this where we can say, the love of God is in me, and I can love whoever's around me with God's love because it's in me by the Holy Ghost. And that is absolutely true. But I want us to read a couple verses down so we can see the specific context of that love that is poured out in our hearts. It says this, verse 6, While we were yet in weakness, or powerless to help ourselves, 
at the fitting time, Christ died for the ungodly. Now, it is an extraordinary thing for one to give his life even for an upright man, though perhaps for a noble and loving or generous benefactor, someone might even dare to die. But God shows and clearly proves His own love for us by the fact that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now, I know you've heard those verses before. I want you to think about what it's saying here. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. This is how we know that God loves us, that He sent His Son in our place to die for us, to save us. God is proving His love, has proved His love, by sending Jesus for us. He's proved His love for us. And He's saying, you know what, even when you, while you were a sinner, you weren't thinking about God, you were trying, you, life was the great experiment. How am I going to get through? Let's try this, let's try that. When you followed your own desires, I'm going to go my way, I want to do this, I want to do that, and the struggle to get what you want, to build your own kingdom, to establish yourself the way that you want to. That is the life in the world without God. And while you were in that place, Christ died for you. You didn't earn it, you didn't even know about it. And yet He gave His life for you before, before you knew about Him, before you heard about Him. He had given His life for you. Why? Because the Father loved you from the beginning. He loved you before all the difficult stuff you encountered. He loved you when you were thinking you were doing great, sitting on top of the world, so to speak. He loved you then. He has always loved you. And He demonstrated that fact by sending His only Son to die for your sin he died in your place. He sent Jesus on your behalf. This is the love of God to you. It is God saying, I love you. I pay a high price for you. You are valuable to me. You know, sometimes in the world we say things, oh, I'd give the world for this. The Father gave His best. He gave His only Son for you. That tells us how much value we have to Him. He didn't look down the line and pick one of His lowest angels and go, hey, you know what? You go. He gave His Son. That is how much He loves and cares for us, just like that. And that is the love of God that is shed abroad in our heart by the Holy Ghost. That love, His love for us, that while we were still sinners, yet sinners, He died for us. That's the love that's poured out in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. I can guarantee you that when you know the love of God for you, your life will change. Your life will absolutely change when you know the love of God for you. Because suddenly, it don't look so bad outside. Suddenly, it doesn't matter what's going on around me. God loves me. Suddenly, I, it doesn't matter if I get an unexpected bill in the mail. God loves me. 
It doesn't matter if I'm having some difficult times with relatives. God loves me. He sent his son for me. And so it doesn't matter how difficult or strenuous or surmounting the the challenges may be when they come. I have a confidence. I have an expectation that I'm getting through and that all of this is going to turn for my good because, hey, God loves me. Even when I was a sinner, I wasn't even following him. He sent his son for me. How much more so now that I'm his child? Now I've got confidence because, hey, God loves me. Sometimes people look to their circumstances and they go, well, I don't know if God loves me. Look what's happening in my life. But your life is not the measuring stick of the love of God. Your life is not the way that you judge or determine whether or not God loves you. We see clearly here that he loves you because he sent his son. That's how you know. That's how he's proven it. You can look to the cross. You can look to the raised to life son of God who is raised to life and say, that's how I know the father loves me. That's how I know. It's so, it's so wonderful how we can be taught these things as little children and yet somehow forget them when we become adults. Jesus loves me, this I know, right? Simple, simple, for the Bible tells me so. Not because my life is doing great. Oh, God must love me. My life is wonderful. Oh, my life isn't so great. What happened, God? Why did, what happened? Don't you love me? Your present condition is no measuring stick for the love of God in your life. Hallelujah. No, if you want to know if God loves you, you just look to the Son. You look to Jesus, the Son of God. You look to the suffering that he took upon himself when he was made to be sin with your sin. You look at that and you go, Jesus, you took my sin. You took my weakness. You took my faults, my failures, everything about me that falls short of the glory of God. Jesus, you took that upon yourself. You became that in my place, even before I knew about you, even before I was aware that I was a sinner. You took those things on my behalf. You laid your life down for me, and the Father raised you from the dead so that I can have a way. I can be made reconciled unto the Father again. I can have that fellowship with Him. I can have that relationship with God once again the one that I was cut off from, the one I had wandered away from, the one who had, I had left behind, I was unaware of it, I didn't know about him. He came and he got me. I was in darkness and his light found me, hallelujah. I was in a lost place and the great one came and found me, praise God. He picked me up, he raised me up before I even understood what was going on. Why? Because of his great love for me. That's why. I don't know about you, but you can't talk like that and then be all mealy mouth and, oh, well, you know, just going through it. You can't talk like that when you talk about how much God loves you. Oh, hallelujah. I mean, there's, there's a story that we have in the Old Testament that is a picture of this with Abraham and his son, the one that God had promised him, is going to be the heir of all things and be turned into a great and mighty nation, more numerous than the stars in the sky, more numerous than the sand on the seashore. So here is this promise that was a miracle child, 
that God did this thing. Man, he did this thing. And one day, God says to Abraham, I want you to take your son, your only son, and sacrifice him unto me on that mountain up there. You know, I think if that was most of us today, we'd be hearing something like that and go, get behind me, Satan. You're trying to rob me of the promise of God. You know, and there are things where we've known God has promised us stuff in our lives. You're going to do this. I'm going to use you in this way. I'm going to bless you abundantly. I'm going to do these things. Here are all my promises of life and life abundantly to you. And we hear those things, and we cling to those promises the way that Abraham could have clung to Isaac. No, God, you promised me, Isaac. This is mine. We could have clung to it selfishly. Oh, hallelujah. We could have clung to it selfishly. But Abraham didn't do that. The Bible just says, the next morning, Abraham got up early. He didn't lay in bed pondering, man, am I going to do this today or what? He got up early, but there was always faith in his heart. Because even when they got to the mountain, he said to the servants that have come along, you stay here, the boy and I shall return. Well, how is he going to do that if the boy's charred meat? The boy and I shall return. And then when his son says, Father, where is the sacrifice? We got the wood. I'm carrying the wood up the mountain on my back. I'm carrying the wood. Where's the sacrifice? What does Abraham say? The Lord will provide. The Lord will provide a sacrifice. Oh, hallelujah. The Lord shall provide a sacrifice. Praise God. Glory be to God. You are not left without. Even if you think, God has asked me to wait. God's asked me to be patient. It looks like the promise isn't coming. Or it looks like the promise is here, but he's asked me to give it up. He blessed me abundantly. Financially, I'm doing well. And then he says, put something in the offering. Maybe he said something like that to you. Maybe he said, I want you to stay here and wait for a little while before my promise to you is manifested. And you're waiting, 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 going, when is it coming, Lord? clinging on to the thing that he said. Maybe that waiting is testing your heart on whether you can really say, the Lord will provide. The Lord will provide, hallelujah. Abraham goes up the mountain, praise God, gets up to the top, goes as far as putting his son on the altar there, raises the knife in the air, is about to do what God said to do. You know why? Because many a man can claim loving devotion. God, I love you. But a faithful man, who can find? Abraham proved himself to be faithful. It went right down to the very end of it. Faithful to God. So what did God do? Stop, wait. Don't do that. Now I know you will give your only son. You won't cling to that selfishly. Now you can have your son truly. So Abraham received his son in a figure, the Bible says, raised from the dead, as in a figure. Figuratively, raised from the dead. But all the time, the father was looking at that going, now you know 
what I'm going to do for you. Now you see what it is that I'm going to do for you. Because Jesus walked up that mountain, Calvary, with the wood on his back, the cross, and that sacrifice of the only son for you and I. I'm telling you, God goes through with it all the way. All the way. He is faithful all the way. And because of His great love for us today, you and I are free. So when we read here in Romans chapter 5 about this love that's shed abroad in our heart, that's the love that we're talking about. How can you and I fail when we know that God loves us the way that He does? He moves heaven and earth for us because He loves us. He sent His Son because He loves you. When that is a reality in your heart, you don't struggle. Nothing's too difficult for you. Your whole perspective on, you know, serving the Lord and how difficult it may be or, you know, that changes. And no longer do His commands seem burdensome to you. Why? Because you're born of God, and whatever is born of God overcomes the world, amen? It's not burdensome to obey His command. It's not burdensome because you want to, as you love Him. I want to challenge you this morning with this statement. Where are you at with the Lord? Where are you at with fellowship with Him? Where are you at? I like to uh, think about that day when I stand before Jesus. I like to think about that day because it gives me perspective on what really matters. And I've said this before kind of in a humorous way sometimes, but hear my heart. When I do stand before Him, I don't want Him to be a stranger to me. I don't want Him to be a stranger to me. Hallelujah. How is your relationship with God? How is your fellowship with Him? Do we need to do a relationship checkup? Where are you at? Do you find yourself busy with life? Kind of like the Martha and Mary story. You know that? Martha's working in the kitchen. Jesus is in the living room. Got his disciples around. There's Mary at the feet of Jesus. And there's all this stuff to be done. Got to make meals. Got to get everything ready. And there's Mary sitting down there. Martha's doing everything by herself. And she's getting a little flustered. Says, hey. Jesus, tell Mary to come help me. Don't you just love Jesus? 
I mean, that's pretty presumptuous. Jesus, tell Mary, come help me. And yet, you might be busy in your life serving the Lord and look around and see someone that doesn't seem to be doing what you're doing and think, hey, Jesus, tell that person to get serving here. I can't do this whole thing by myself. And Jesus, I, I can imagine what Jesus would have been. I, mean, I could just see that softness in his face when he looks at her and says, Mary, Mary. Or I should say, Martha, Martha. Martha, Martha. And says, Mary has chosen the better thing, and that won't be taken from her. He said to Martha, you, you're busy with many things. And I think in our lives, we can be busy with many things. There's lots of things to do. And we think, well, we got to get this done. We have to get these other things. It's so busy. Life is so busy. And once in a while, I'll just check in with the Lord and pray. Everything good, God? We're okay? All right. And I'll continue on. Just checking in. Unless there's a real problem. Unless, oh, sickness has come upon my family. I better pray. But what about being at the feet of Jesus? What about prioritizing Him? I mean, I, I like to think that He is Lord, right? Isn't He? So often, we look at, we consider Jesus in the context of our own lives. We think about our life and how Jesus fits into our life. Here's my whole life. Here's everything I want to do. Here's my friends and family. Here's my life that I'm living. And this is how Jesus fits into my life. So we see Him often in the context of our own lives. When really... We should, see, be, we should be seeing our lives in the context of His. The other way around. The Bible says in Colossians chapter 3 that our lives are hidden with Christ in God. And when He is revealed, we will be revealed with Him in glory. But where is our life? It's hidden with Christ in God. That's the context. We should be thinking, Jesus, what do you want to do in my life? Jesus, how can I serve you? Our thoughts and our minds should go towards him. I mean, hey, when you're in love, that's what happens. You're working away and your thoughts are going towards your loved one. You're busy doing something and you're excited because you can't wait to get done work. You're going to go see that special someone. You're thinking on this. Why? Because of love. How much more should it be with the one who's rescued us? The one who's delivered and saved, given his life for us. The one who loves us more than we can know or understand. This very one that is the shepherd and overseer of our souls. Our thoughts should run to him. Our desire should be to know him, to, to spend time with him. I can't wait to get up early so I can take the first few hours of my day to be at his feet. 
And the rest of my life is an outflow of my fellowship with the Father. The rest of my life is fueled and powered and sorted by the, my fellowship with God. I mean, we talk like that in church because it sounds good. But you know exactly where you're at today. You know exactly where you're at. And sometimes I wonder, like, how can we get this across to people? You know, especially as pastors, we think about things like that. How can I get people to pray? How can I get them to tithe? How can I get them to serve God? How can I get them to... Right? But the fact of the matter is, is if they know that God loves them, they do all those things because they want to. When's the last time that you picked up your Bible and you were excited because you knew God speaking to you? When's the last time you went to go pray and you had no agenda? God, I just want to be with you. When's the last time you went to go pray and said, and you didn't feel anything? You didn't feel nothing. It's just, blah. But you know, you go, God, you're here. You see me. I'm just glad to be in your presence. When's the last time you did that? When's the last time you went and knelt before him and you didn't have a list of things that you needed him to do? But you just wanted to be with him. Do you know how much God wants to be with you? Do you have any concept of how much he has desired you? Oh, hallelujah. He has pursued you. He's gone after you. He didn't get offended when you ran away, when you turned your back. He didn't get mad. He didn't get offended. He wasn't upset when you didn't do everything right. He wasn't standing there at the door waiting for you to get back and going to scold you when you came up over the hill because you were out. You weren't supposed to be. We see that picture of his love for us with the, with the what we call the prodigal son, the who just outrageous that he would say, "Give me my inheritance now. Give me my inheritance now." I mean, I'm sure there's a certain point in time when, in that family, it, I mean, that inheritance would pass, maybe even while the father's still alive, and not just when he dies. But the inheritance would pass from the father to the son. But the son couldn't wait for that. The son couldn't wait. I want my inheritance now. I can't wait. That's my inheritance. You give it to me now. Oh, man, that says flesh all over it. Give it to me now. I heard Keith Ward say it like this way. The flesh says Give it to me now, anyhow. And then Keith Moore was also saying, but the Spirit says, if you wait, it'll be great. If you wait, it'll be great. And this son, he couldn't wait. He's, in, he's just impatient. Give me my inheritance now. 
Now, like I said, I don't know if the father, if it, it was traditional for it would wait for the inheritance to, uh, it would, wouldn't come until the father dies. But if that was the case, he's basically saying, I can't wait till you're dead. Give me my inheritance. The father doesn't say, hey, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's so disrespectful. You're, you ain't ready. And he wasn't. He wasn't ready. But he doesn't say, you ain't ready for that. Forget it. No. Father says, okay, here you go. Divides up the inheritance, gives it to both sons. And the young son takes off and squanders the inheritance on wild living, which just basically means on himself. He spends everything that his father has given him on, his, on himself. How, you know your life has been given to you by God? Well, I was just born into this world. It's for my parents. No, it originated from God. You didn't earn nothing. What you got, God gave to you. That is his gift to you. How are you spending it? Are we spending it on ourselves to please ourselves? So that's what the young son did, the, the immature son, the son that was not ready for the inheritance. Spent it on himself. And finally, when things got really bad, at least that light went on and went, whoa, wait a minute, what am I doing here? Come, he came to himself, the Bible says. Hey, even the servants in my father's house got it better than this. Even the servants do, man. What am I doing out here? And, you know, I, I think there are some of us that have been in that place where we've been out in the world for too long. We've been trying to do our own thing for too long. We've been trying to get what we want from God for our own selves for too long. And we, it gets bad. It gets really bad. And we're upset and we're cranky and we don't know why and this and that. Our prayers aren't working and it's always a struggle. And where's the peace of God? And where's my joy? Where did it go? and all of that kind of stuff. I've been praying and praying. It's like the heavens are brass. I don't understand why things ain't working. And it just gets bad enough, and we just think, well, you know, God's trying to teach me a lesson. I'll just keep, you know, I, this is building character somehow, and, you know, one of these days it'll all be over, like our Eeyore Christianity. But praise God when the light comes on, hallelujah. You come to yourself and go, wait a minute, hey, hey, even the servants have it better than I do right now. So what does he do? He goes back to the Father. Back to the Father. He returns. And what happens? The Father sees him coming up over the hill. Now, if the Father was busy, he may have missed that. But if the father sees him coming off from a long way off, coming up over the hill, oh, there's my son. It's because he's looking. It's because he's watching. He sees. He knows. And here comes the son. And what does the father do? Stands on the porch with his arms crossed and says, just wait till that boy gets home. I'm going to give him a licking. I'm going to give him a piece of my mind. Disrespected me like that. Is that what he did? Absolutely not. He runs to the son. 
runs out to meet him, grabs him, embraces him. Before the son can even say a word. And finally, the son says something. He says, Father, I don't even deserve. I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. I don't even deserve to be your son. Just make me a servant in your house. And maybe some of us have been saying that. Maybe some of us have been thinking that. Maybe some of us have been feeling that. But I love the fact that the father didn't even acknowledge that. Hallelujah. He didn't say anything about that. He ignored it. Because none of that matters. What matters is my son is home. My son has come home. Let's rejoice. Let's have a big party. Hallelujah. Let's rejoice that my son is home. Hallelujah. This is the love of our Heavenly Father for you and I, praise God. This is His love for us. He rejoices because you are home. He rejoices because you belong to Him. Your citizenship is in heaven. Heaven is your home. That is your place. And He rejoices because you are home. And what He's looking for is that place where you make Him your home. When you look to live in Him, when you look to see Him, when you look to live in the context of His life, in the context of His saving grace in your life, in the context of His love for you and for I. When we look at our lives from the, His perspective, when we see how great His love for us, and we look out over the landscape of our lives, and we see the promise, praise God, because of His promise for us. You might be looking out over the landscape of your life right now, and it looks like a barren land. But can you see what the Father sees? Can you see His promise that says, I will give you all of this land? Can you see it? Can you see what He sees? Can you see His great love for you? We would say He could hardly wait, but He is patient after all, right? Hallelujah. We have such a great and wonderful opportunity. It's like that treasure buried in a field. We have a wonderful opportunity to know our Heavenly Father, to know Jesus. It is eternal life, praise God. We have this great opportunity every moment of the day where we can direct our heart and our attention towards Him. Say, Father, I'm just thinking about you. I'm just looking to you. I'm just looking to you. What should we do here? Father, I love you. I, I, I want to know you more. Constantly, our hearts can be in a place where Jesus is Lord, where we look to Him, we acknowledge Him. I may run out of descriptive words in a moment because there's so much more to say and so few words to express it. Hallelujah. Can you say that your heart is bigger than your mouth? Hallelujah. When it comes to God, 
Can you say that? Because when it's all said and done, and you go home, there he is. Arms wide open for you. The truth of it is, it's that way for you right now. Are we living like that's true? Hallelujah. So in the last few minutes here, before we start wrapping things up, let's take a moment. You're going to start hearing some worship music out here if you're outside. They're going to start with the, with the live stream there, carry it on with the music coming in and the worship there. And I'd like us to take this moment. Let's not be in a hurry. Let's take this moment to have our hearts open before God. Open before our Heavenly Father and say, Father, you got to be honest. You can't do this mechanically. You have to be honest. You have to be sincere. And say, Father, I don't know if I know your love quite the way that I ought to. I want to know it. The Bible says the love of God is shed abroad in my heart by the Holy Ghost. And I might not feel it right now. I might not even really understand. But I believe that you love me. You sent Jesus for me. You love me. Let's be in a place where our hearts are open before God and let him love you the way he wants to, the way he desires to. Let's do this for a few more moments and then we will continue on with some other things. I'm going to close in a word of prayer and then worship will commence. Father, I thank you. We thank you for sending Jesus for us. Father, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for the love, your love for us that is shed abroad in our hearts. It's poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom you have given us. And Father, we, for some of us, Father, we need to repent and say, I'm sorry. I've been living like you fit into my life somehow instead of I fit into your great, wonderful life. Father, help me to know you more. Help me to see you. Help me to think about you as my day goes by. Help me to look for you in every place. Listen for, listening to your voice in my heart. Trusting in you. Whether I see you or recognize you or not, trusting in you with my heart knowing that you are the good shepherd who leads and guides and directs. Father, you have done everything for me. And my life belongs to you. And I will not be disappointed because of your great love for me. Thank you. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening today. 
We hope you have been strengthened and encouraged by the message you've heard. To hear more from our pastors or to learn more about Celebration Life Church, you can visit our website at celebrationlife.ca. You can contact us by phone at 604-594-7327 or you can write to us at Unit 2A, 13139 80th Avenue, Surrey, B.C., B3W3B1.